0: Standing firm when discouraged. We're going to take a look at that. If you remember, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. And I just want to take a look at what we saw just a little bit of last week. In Romans 15, there's uh, verses 4 through 6. All of us have reasons to be discouraged. All of us are discouraged at certain points in life. And there's some things that we need to deal with. In Romans 15, verses 4 through 6... We see some help as far as discouragement is concerned in our lives. It says, uh, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are in agreement, and we were last time we were together, that we all have reasons to be discouraged. Uh, the point that, that needs to be made is that there is hope through the scriptures, through the Bible, to look at people who have been discouraged in their lives and see how God dealt with them. So what we, we began to do is we, we were starting to take a look at a guy whose name was um, Gideon, and uh, we're going to take a look at five guidelines on how to uh, deal with discouragement in your life. The first guideline that we saw was that we're to recognize recognize what caused our discouragement or recognize what caused your discouragement. In Judges 6, 6 through 10, we read this. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Many of us are discouraged because, frankly, we're just disobedient before God. You know, we we reap what we sow. God said, you know, Galatians 6, 7 says this, Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is what he will also reap. Many times the discouragement that you and I go through in life Are simply because of disobedience before God We're reaping the consequences Whether it's a sin of commission Or a sin of omission We kick ourselves sometimes and say I should have done this and I didn't do it And that led to this problem Or I shouldn't have done that and that's why I'm dealing with this And so we struggle with that and we look at it And uh, yet the Bible is very clear Psalm 51, David confessed before God We need to recognize and acknowledge before God if what we did is what causes our discouragement, we just need to confess it before God. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, many times I heard it said that, you know, basically what happens to disobedience is like like having a board um, that you drive nails into. And you can look at that, and every time that you drive a nail, it's something that's a, a sin of disobedience before God. You know, I did this, and you pound a nail into that board. I did that, and you pound another nail in. And we begin to reap the consequences of our actions. And what First 1 John 1, 1.9 basically says is what God does is He removes every one of those nails if we acknowledge before Him that what we did is wrong. He takes those nails out and throws them away as if they never existed. However, if you pick up the board, we've got a lot of scars in the wood. And so we we sometimes have vivid reminders of our past sin or disobedience before God, but God allows that to happen for the purpose of learning from it so that we don't repeat the same behavior again. Although he says he forgives us for it, and he does, and I believe that he does, there's still a reminder there that we need not do the same thing again. So our discouragement often is a result of our own making. And uh, what we need to do, it says that, you know, basically that in uh, Judges 6, the first six verses, it said that for seven years the Midianites oppressed the people of God. I want you to take a look at something with me because I think it's a good example of what we're talking about. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. I like Hebrews four fifteen through 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw with confidence to the throne of grace that may, we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And I think that's an encouragement to me in that you know, when I blow it before God, we don't have to shrink away from God because He knows us. And we've got a high priest in Jesus Christ who knows what we go through. He knows the temptations and the struggles that we face. And yet it says He is without sin so that there's, He can offer us hope he can offer us encouragement he can offer us forgiveness because he himself is perfect and i think it's good because it basically says hey you know what when you got a problem when you're discouraged you don't have to shrink away from god even though you caused what you're going through but god is available and waiting and saying look you know all you got to do is turn back to me and i'm willing to forgive you but i can't forgive you if you don't confess it so have you ever had a t- difficult time in a relationship with someone else See, there can be no forgiveness if there is no confession. And there's where the difficulty is. You know, many of us justify our actions before God and think somehow or another God can can forgive us for that. But we've never agreed with Him that what we did is wrong. We never agreed that the reason that we're in the circumstances that we're in is because of what we did. And based on what he said, what we did wasn't right. And so we have to at some point say, Lord, I acknowledge before you what I did was wrong. I made a big mistake. That's what David did in Psalm 51. Lord, I know I blew it. And my sin is always before me. And you know what my sin is. And now all I ask you to do is forgive me. That's why it says in Psalm 51:17, The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart God will never despise. To turn to him and say, I'm sorry. And in Matthew chapter 14, if you take a look at it, it's a great example of, you know, I wonder sometimes how long we're supposed to wait. You know, you kind of get down and you're discouraged by some of the things you have going on. In Matthew 14, look at verse 22. In Matthew 14, verse 22, we read the account of what Peter went through. And it says, And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Kind of like today. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, "O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Let me ask you a question. When did Peter get discouraged? When he started sinking. Okay, good. When he took his eyes off of the Lord and he started looking at his circumstances, which we're going to talk about in a second, but when he got discouraged was what? When he started to sink. Now, let me ask you a question. How long did it take him to figure out that he needed help? You know, and the only reason I think about that is, look at, I mean, what Israel went through for seven years, they were oppressed by the Midianites before they finally came around to saying, Lord, you know what? I think we need your help. We've been living in these caves and in these tunnels, and we haven't had any food, and we haven't had any place to live, and we haven't had any peace or security in our nation for the last seven years. I think it's time that we turn to you. What do you think, Lord? Now, if Peter would have took seven years to decide that he was in trouble, what do you think would have happened to him? I like that, because the way I read it is this. When you start getting that sinking feeling, immediately turn to the Lord for help. You ever get those days where you start feeling down and you're trying to figure out why and you don't really know why? You just feel like, yeah, you know? And sometimes from history you can say, well, maybe I'm getting a flu or I'm getting a cold or, you know, I've had these feelings before and that's the kind of stuff that always preceded whatever it is I'm going to get. But what God is saying is, you know what? As soon as you start that sinking feeling, why don't you turn to God then? Why do you wait? Why wait? I mean, you know, it amazes me. Why wait seven years? Could you imagine if they would have turned to Him right away? Maybe they wouldn't have had to go through what they went through for seven years. Maybe if they would just turned to him for help immediately, God would have been available because he says he would, and he would have answered and helped them go through what they went through. It's just stupid. You know, sometimes it's stupid. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's, it's not an understanding of what we've done that's wrong before God. I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but I think the bottom line reason is a lot of us don't realize that God is ready and available anytime we want to turn to him. And we just miss that. And so what he did was he said, man, you know what, Lord, I'm sinking. I think I need some help. And Jesus reached out and he grabbed him and he helped him up. What a great picture for any of us who are going through discouraging times. That he is available now. Well, going back to Midian, the second thing that was just mentioned is that we need to redirect our focus onto the Lord and away from the odds that are against you. Redirect our focus onto the Lord and away from the odds that are against you. You know, it's interesting as we go through this, it says the Lord turned to him and said, Go on the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least of my family. Then the Lord answered and said, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. All right? why couldn't he do what God asked him to do? What was his problem? What's that? He was focusing on himself. himself. How do we know that? What did he say? What does he know about himself? But wait a minute. How can I save Israel? Stop thinking about it. Wait, 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 wait. Who am I? I'm going to save Israel? (laughs) That's pretty funny. Because don't you know who I am? I mean, first of all, don't you know my family is the weakest clan out of all this tribe? And not only is my family the weakest, but I'm the weakest of my family. So I'm the weakest weakest. You know what's amazing is how often it is that God's people feel that way about themselves. You know, what did Moses say? I'm going to Pharaoh. Let me wait. Let me get this straight. I'm going to Pharaoh and I'm going to tell him, let your people go. Oh, that's a pretty good idea. Do you got any other plans up your sleeves there, Lord? He said, First of all, I don't even know how to talk right. So when I get up there, I'm going to say, uh, 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 uh. And, and he's going to look at me like I'm an idiot. So he immediately questioned whether he could do what God told him he can do. Solomon said the same thing. Solomon said, Well, wait a minute. I'm just like a little child. I can't, I can't rule over these people, I have no experience. I have nothing going for me I mean I can't do it and so he began to focus on all the reasons why he couldn't do what God already told him he was able to do and I think it's fascinating to a lot of us is that we get discouraged because we look at the odds against us and say we can't we can't I don't come from the right family I don't have the right amount of money you know I'm the wrong color I, I, I don't have an education. I don't have what it takes to be successful in the situation that I want to be successful in. But I'm just glad that God doesn't look at our circumstances as we do. And in fact, what God says is that don't look at the outer appearance as man does, but look at the inner quality, the inner person, the heart. That's what God does. See, that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 26-31, it says that God chose the things that aren't. So, it can confound the things that are. God likes to do business this way. And let me just give you if you're discouraged, let me just explain a couple of things to you. Don't allow anybody to hold you back from what you believe that God would have you do in your life for any reason. Don't let people tell you you don't have an education, don't let people tell you you don't have enough money, don't let people tell you that you came from the wrong background. Don't ever be discouraged by any of that because God doesn't consider any of that. If you're discouraged because of that, don't. And if you ever judge anybody else based on all those things, don't do that either. Because frankly, that's just not right. And so what Gideon began to find out is the same thing that we need to figure out and we need to get this straight You will never be able to stand firm when discouraged if your eyes are focused on the odds against you and the reasons why you can't do it, rather than redirecting them on the Lord. You will never be able to stand firm when you're discouraged once you take your eyes off the Lord. A great vivid illustration of a man who began to sink when he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to look at his circumstances. Here's what I think is true. Our eyes are focused on four places at all times. One of these four places. Number one, we begin to focus on our circumstances. All the reasons why things aren't going to work. The thousands of reasons why. That's what people like odds makers get paid to do. to tell you all the reasons why. You know, and sports is great. They tell you the 900 reasons why you can't win. And once a guy begins to focus on all the reasons why he can't win, I'll guarantee you that he won't. That's just the way that it is. The second thing is we begin to focus on other people. And that is we begin to worry about what you think of what I want to do. And I start to look at people around me and say, you can't do that. I say, why? And they begin to give me all the reasons again. So they, they turn me back to the circumstances. So I start to look at other people who turn me back to circumstances and then again I get discouraged. Or we begin to look at ourselves. Well, I know I can't do it. And in the fourth place that we need to look at is on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. See, Matthew 6, it said Jesus, Jesus was talking and he said, hey, look, you know what? Don't be bummed out. Don't be worried about everything in life. He goes, look up. And what he was saying was, look up at the birds of the sky and see how God takes care of them. But the point that he was making is that we need to look up. We need to look at God. And there's a big difference between focusing our attention on God and focusing our attention on ourselves as if somehow we can do it. See, and, that, and that's the difference between the power of positive thinking and the power of, of, of who Jesus Christ is. See, the power of positive thinking tells you you can do anything if you put your mind to it. And what I say is I, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. But I believe the Bible clearly teaches that I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that I can do anything that God calls me to do because he will give me the strength to do it. And that's why in Hebrews 12 it says that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There's a big difference between those two philosophies, those two mindsets that say man can do anything if he tries versus, hey, we can do anything through Christ who can do anything. There's a big difference between the two, and don't ever get the two confused. And so what God is saying is, hey, if you're discouraged then put your eyes on Jesus and realize what he can do and what he's already done, and then you can get excited again about what God has for you to do in life. That, I, I like what uh, one scoffer said uh, when he was talking to Mother Teresa. He said that you know Mother Teresa was trying to combat the millions of people who were dying of, of starvation in India. And one scoffing man once told him, he said, what can Mother Teresa do with a few shillings for so great a problem? And he was making a very valid point. And she looked at him and said, Sir, you are correct. Mother Teresa and a few shillings can do very little to combat the problem that we're dealing with here. She said, but what you forget is that God, Mother Teresa and a few shillings can do great things. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. See, look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. That's what that's all about. And so what Midian realized is that, well, you know what? That's a good point. I was focusing on myself. I was focusing on the circumstances. And what God said was, hey, Midian, you know what? You need to redirect your focus away from yourself. And you need to focus on who God is says so what he did was so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace said God I understand now what you're saying and when I'm in the middle of what it is that you would have me to do I'm going to remember as I look at this altar that you're the one who's called me to do what you want me to do and I'm just going to I'm going to bank on you I'm going to count on you if you said I can do it I can do it and so that's basically what he did So to overcome discouragement in our life, number one, we need to recognize what caused it. If we're sinning before God and it's causing discouragement, we need to acknowledge that, confess it, and turn from it, and repent. The second thing is that we need to redirect our attention away from the circumstances and onto the Lord who says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The third thing that he says, and probably is one of the most important of all the things that we'll talk about, is that we need to realize the importance of a public allegiance. Now let me explain this because a lot of us get into a lot of trouble because we don't understand this. It says, Now all the Midianites, Judges 6, 33-35, says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Absarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher. Zebulon and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet them I want you to focus on something for a minute it says that he blew a trumpet and he let people know around him where he stood I was talking to a friend I I don't think I can emphasize this enough that if you love the Lord you need to let people around you know that you love the Lord you need to tell them publicly tell them And I don't think I can emphasize this enough. And let me just give you one illustration of a friend of mine who's a single guy who got himself into trouble in this particular area and got very discouraged in his walk with Christ because he didn't realize how important this is. He began to date a gal who wasn't a Christian. And, uh, you know, as as they began to date and as they got closer together, then time went on and they began to develop a relationship with one another. And one thing led to another and temptations came in and you begin to fall in those areas of your life. And what he began to realize, and he was so disgusted and discouraged with himself, that he realized that, man, you know what? His, this relationship that he was in wasn't doing him any good in his walk with the Lord. And he was really bummed out about it. Man, you talk about, this is a perfect illustration of what we just talked about. Here's a guy who was discouraged because his disobedience led him to discouragement. And as we talked this thing through, I said, well, wait a minute. When you started to date her, did you, did, did you let her know that the most important relationship that you had was with Jesus Christ and that he had to be the center of your relationship? Well, now we didn't get around to talking about that. Oh Well, why not? Well, you know how it is. It's kind of like when you start a new job, you don't really want anybody to know that you're a Christian because you're feeling them out to see where you stand because you don't really want to take a stand until you know if you should or whether you can. And you don't want to stand out in the crowd. And after all, you know, these things are really personal things and you don't want to be, you know, overbearing with the people that are around you. So you just kind of keep these things to yourself. So you don't let anybody know. And what begins to happen is that you begin to get into situations where temptations come up because you haven't declared publicly your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean you walk in the first day of your office and say, look, I just want everybody to know, let's have a little meeting here, that first of all, I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. He's Lord of my life and my allegiance is to him. So don't ever ask me to do anything that wouldn't be pleasing to him because I can't do it. I'm not saying that you even need to do that. But I'm just saying that we need to be publicly vocal about who we say that we love and follow. And I'll tell you what happens. If he tells this gal that he's dating, that that's the most important thing in his life, then he's already set a precedent to what's the most important thing. And then she knows not to maybe tempt him in areas where she thinks that that's not what they should be doing because he's already stated his position. Or if she doesn't want anything to do with them, she'll just blow them off right from the beginning and then you don't have the emotional trauma of developing a relationship that leads to discouragement anyway because you've set the ground rules up straight from the very beginning. Same with going into any kind of environment, a work environment. If people know that you're Christians, I'll guarantee you what happens. They won't invite you to things that they don't think you should go to. And you know what I say? Good. I had that happen. I had a friend of mine not invite me to his bachelor party. And I find out about it. And what was funny was, he invited another one of our friends to go. And so this guy came to me and said, hey, are you going to so-and-so's bachelor party? And I said, no, I wasn't invited. I said, why, are you going? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me funny, you know. And so I, call, I called him. I said, hey, you know, why didn't you invite me to your bachelor party? This guy is a Christian. So why didn't you invite me? Wow, man, there's some things that you're going to, you know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, and I think you want to go there. Well, you're right. I don't want to be there if that's what's going on. Why are you going there? Well, it's kind of my bachelor party. Well, so if it's your bachelor party, you'd think you'd have a little more control over what's going to happen, huh? Well, well, well. And so what was funny was the other guy that was invited was all ticked off that he was invited and I wasn't invited. Well, what are you inviting me for? And the guy goes, well, you know, you like to kind of sit around and have a beer with us every now and then, cut up, tell some jokes and stuff. And, and it was like, you know, instant conviction. And I thought, man, you know what, that's great. I don't want to be invited to things that I know God wouldn't want me at anyway. And it's a lot easier to not to be invited than it is to be invited and have to tell them why you're not going to come. So if people know up front why they aren't going to invite you, then it means that you never have to explain why you wouldn't go. Now, the reason we get so discouraged is is because we wait until we're way into this relationship and then we have to try to somehow or another regroup to tell people why we couldn't do something that we've already been doing on an ongoing basis. And you know the only thing that you can do? You have to apologize. You got to confess. I said, you know what? You have to do with your relationship now? You got to go to this gal and say, you know what? There's some things that we've done that aren't right before God and I made a big mistake. I never should have done it and I'm sorry that I did it. And if we're going to continue our relationship, I need to lay out some new ground rules that I should have done from the very beginning. That's what you got to do. It's a lot easier to lay it out up front than it is to deal with afterwards. Because then you don't have to worry about, quote, saving face or whatever, or being contradictory or being a hypocrite. You just lay it out up front. And you know what's amazing to me? I've seen some remarkable things done when men and women have been bold in their public allegiance before Christ. I've seen things happen on football teams, I've seen things happen in offices, I've seen things happen in neighborhoods, I've seen things happen uh, in the military, where men and women have just stood firm and said, look, I just want to let you know right now, that I love Jesus Christ, and He changed my life, and I just want to let you know that up front. And I would never do anything to do anything that would cause any discredit to His name. Jim Voss worked with Mickey Cohen. Jim Voss in 1949 accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. At the same time he was working with Mickey Cohen and the gangs, he was also working undercover for the Los Angeles Police Department. When he, when he accepted Christ in 1949, it became public information. All of a sudden, the guys that he was working, through, working for in the mob knew that Mickey Cohen had accepted Jesus Christ into his life and that there was a public allegiance that he made. This is his personal account. This is a remarkable story, but listen to what it said. He said this. I said, I was in my home shortly after I'd given my testimony to Billy Graham crusade. I turned the lights out in one room after another. Suddenly, I stopped and looked out in my driveway as two long black limousines pulled up. They were very familiar cars. Knowing full well that the mission of those inside the cars was to kill me, I simply prayed, Lord, my life is now in your hands. I trust you right now. I opened the front door and walked out in the driveway, which no doubt surprised the occupants of the limousine. Immediately, the doors of the limousine swung open and several men in three-piece suits jumped out. They stood in a group around me as as, uh, I calmly began to direct, direct and tell them this. I have trusted Jesus Christ and him only as my Lord and Savior, and I can no longer work with you. At that moment, the men looked at him with a weird look on their face, got back in their cars, and drove away and never bothered him again. What, a, what an incredible story. I mean, This guy, literally, his life was in danger. And it's really funny to me sometimes to think about how, how, how afraid we get to let people know that we love the Lord. My life has never been put in danger because I've made a public allegiance to Christ relationships might, a job might, friendships might, but I have never ever been threatened with my life. Can you imagine for a moment if it's too difficult to do that because you're afraid to lose a friend, afraid to lose a job? I mean, don't you think you'd sell out if your life was ever in danger? See, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. That there's a point in time where all of us have to publicly declare our allegiance before the Lord. And you know what? And I think it's wonderful. Proverbs 16, 7 says this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I think there's a point where we just need to say, I love the Lord for what he's done in my life. And I want to serve him. And I'll tell you what, you make a public allegiance, you're going to keep yourself out of a lot of trouble that just causes discouragement. And I think that's why what's great is that when you think about all the examples in Scripture, but you look at Nehemiah, he says, hey, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, you'll join us there and our God will fight for us. We need to take a public stand. Joshua twenty four fifteen just a great account of a man who knew what it meant to take a stand. Do you realize that you talk about what we've, been, what we've been talking about over the last several weeks? A man who was transformed by a renewed mind, who wasn't conformed to the group. Almost three million Israelites that escaped from Egypt were wandering in the wilderness, and God said, hey, I want 12, 12 spies to go out into the land. I want you to go check it out because I'm giving the land into your hands and ten of them came back and said we can't do it but Joshua and Caleb two men who weren't poured into the mold of the rest of the group that stood firm on their convictions before God and said God said we can do it we can do it don't look at the circumstances don't look at the odds against us don't look at the people against us don't look at all the reasons we can't let's look at one reason and that is because God said we could and he promised it to us and that's good enough for me and those two men came back and said I can do anything through the God who strengthens us. And that's what Joshua did. All the way to the end of his life, he said this But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord. I just want to put everybody on notice that that's where we stand. I like that because that's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God to salvation. To the Jews first and also to the Greeks. What he's saying is that I've seen the gospel of Jesus Christ change lives. I haven't seen religious religious systems do it. I haven't seen other people do it. But I've seen Jesus Christ change lives. And I'm not ashamed of it because if it's the truth, the truth will set you free. Everybody else is bluffing, so what are you worried about? The truth is the truth. And so that's what he did. Fourth thing is that we need to remember that God prefers to work through a remnant. God loves to work through a remnant. God loves to work through a handful of people that are in the middle of a majority of people who are anti-God, anti-things of God, and say that, you know what, our, the power's on our side because we've got the strength in numbers. What we see through the account of Midian, I mean Gideon is that, you know what, he was outnumbered tremendously. And he found out that God loves to work through a remnant. It says the Lord, said to Gideon, "You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people: anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead." Which is really interesting. So twenty-two thousand men left, Well, ten thousand remained. Can you imagine they're going to go out into a battle and the general says, "Look, okay, anybody who's afraid can go home now." Said, <laughs> so, "Really? Well, we're out of here." 22,000 guys turn around and they're gone. So there's only 10,000 that are left. But the Lord said to Gideon, Well, you know what? Man, you still got too many men. You're going up against maybe 180,000 soldiers. I mean, you got 10,000. you you, you got them outnumbered. Now, isn't that funny? That's what he was telling them. So he said, "Well, wait a minute, there's too many. So take down to them down to the water, and I'll sift them for you there. If I say this is one, she'll go, then she'll go. And if I say he shouldn't go, then he shouldn't go, and that's what we need to do. So he goes on, so Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him. He said to "Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink." Well, that's an interesting way to do it. Then, then, then 300 men lapped with their, knee, their hands to their mouths, and the rest got down on their knees, and the Lord said to Gideon, Well, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites in your hand let all the other men go, each to his own place. Now, let me ask you a stupid question. I mean, there may be some math students here. I was never real good at it, but the way I see it is this. They got 300 guys. They're going to go against 180,000 those are the kind of odds that you want to go into battle with how are they going to win did you notice one important little phrase said you take these 300 men and I will save you I will deliver them into your hands I'll do the fighting for you I'll take care of it kind of like Mother Teresa again hey you and a few shillings can't do anything but if I do it I can do a whole bunch of stuff And so if you go through and you want to read sometime, read Judges 7 through 8. And you'll find that 120,000 men were slain by God using 300 obedient men. You know, I hope this is an encouragement to you. Because frankly, the world that I live in outnumbers me and outnumbers the things of God. The world that I live in, I am a minority. I don't know about you. If you're fortunate enough to be surrounded by Christians who love the Lord and do the things that are right before Him, then that's fine. But maybe you ought to get out of that environment and go somewhere where you can be more useful to the things of God. But that's just a thought. The world I live in, I'm outnumbered. And I get discouraged sometimes about being outnumbered. My kids are outnumbered in the schools that they go to. We're outnumbered in the neighborhood. I'm not outnumbered in the business that I'm in. And sometimes I get discouraged by being outnumbered. I don't know about you, but there's some kind of comfort sometimes in numbers. But when I read this, I'm comforted because I realize that if God is for me, who can be against me? And there's tremendous encouragement in that. While the economy looks grim to the world, I realize that everything that I have comes from the hand of God. And so every job that I get, every paycheck that I I have, It's it's simply a miracle from God In evidence that God loves me But it's always that way Whether you have a big backlog Or whether you don't have any Whether you have a lot of defense contracts Or whether you're looking to see Whether you ever get another one See it really doesn't matter Because our security is not found In the number of patients that we have The number of clients that we have uh, What kind of programs that are out there Our security is not found in any of that Our security is found in a right relationship With the living God Who provides us with all things anyway. And so he delivered them into their hands. And which leads to the fifth and final point, and that is very simply this. When God gives you the victory, refuse to accept the glory. When God gives you the victory, refuse to accept the glory it's a tremendous story you need to read it to really appreciate it but basically what happened where the people were in awe of what happened as well they should be 300 men defeating 120,000 swordsmen all the rest of the kings of all those nations it says that they were as numerous as the sands of the seashore and they couldn't number the amount of camels that they had and the weaponry that they had they were without number they were in awe of what happened and so what they did was they said hey General Schwarzkopf I mean General uh, Gideon you're an awesome dude You're amazing what you were able to do. Can we have the books and movie rights for your life? And Gideon said, You know what? I am an awesome dude. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, that was Schwarzkopf. I keep getting these two guys mixed up. Man, I'm awesome. That's not what he said. The Israelites said to Gideon, Hey, you know what? You can rule over us, you and your family, you and your son and your grandsons. You're an awesome guy. What a great general. But you know what Gideon said? He said, Wait a minute. First of all, I didn't save you out of the hand of Midian. It was God who did it. And I'm not going to rule over you. But why don't you let God rule over you? So we get hung up in that. Man, you're right. Man, I'm I'm incredible. The same guy that knew a while ago that he couldn't do anything. Some of us are like that. A while ago, we couldn't do anything. Then we accomplished something we knew all the time we could do it. We're really awesome people. But you know what? God says, hey, remember when you thought you couldn't do anything? You were right. Don't ever forget that. You can't do anything, but you can do everything through God who strengthens you. And so what Gideon did very simply was just said, hey, I, I defer any of the credit to the one who deserves it. And I'll just give it all back to my Lord and Savior. If you're successful in business, praise the Lord if you're successful in a relationship and your family and whatever it is and other people say boy you really got a great family you really got it all together you got a great business you got this you got that say hey you know what if it wasn't for hey I am who I am and I've accomplished what I've accomplished but by the grace of God and Him alone and I don't mean that in a false way of being humble I just mean it very sincerely from the bottom of my heart that I am who I am because of the grace of God and nothing else five guidelines to overcome discouragement recognize what caused your condition recognize what caused it if you're sinning before God and you're disobedient and it's leading to discouragement I would recommend that you acknowledge it immediately and that you turn from it you confess your sins He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness you need to redirect your focus onto the Lord and away from the odds that are stacked supposedly against you we've got an awesome God I mean He made you He made me. He made the universe that we live in. It's amazing to me how some of us don't think he can provide us with a job. It's amazing how some of us don't think he can help us to make ends meet. It's amazing that some of us doubt whether or not he can give you wisdom to go through difficult times in your life or to give you encouragement. Man, if he can't do any of that, then how in the world do you expect him to get you into heaven for eternity? I just say, take a look at the evidence around you. We've got an awesome God who can do anything that he chooses to do. Let's start looking at him, focus on him, and stop focusing on the circumstances in the world that we live in that says that, man, we're in trouble. The world may be in trouble. I'm not in trouble. Because I know who I've believed in. And I know that he's able to keep that which I've delivered unto him against that day. Number three, it says realize the importance of a public allegiance. We need to take a more vocal stand publicly with people around us that eliminate further discouragement down the line because of getting into situations you'd never get into if people knew that you stood for the Lord. Remember that God prefers to work through a remnant. Hey, you know what? Get excited when you think that you're the minority. There's, nothing better to be, there's no better position in all scripture to be in than being in a minority. Twelve guys turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Twelve guys. Jesus said, that's enough. I only need 12. I can do it. One of them, no good. I'll replace him. But I can do it with 12. Watch this. And he did. And the last thing is, refuse to accept the glory after God uses your life. Give praise where praise is due. And I'll tell you what, if that doesn't encourage you, then you ain't been paying attention. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time that we've been together. Thank you for your word and how true it is that you tell us that these things that were written were for instruction They are to provide perseverance and encouragement through discouraging times. Literally tell us that you're able to lift our spirits as we begin to recognize who you are and what you can do. We thank you that we can look historically at how you have responded to the needs of your people. We thank you that we can look around us and it's evident all throughout this creation of yours that you're in control. We can thank you as we look even in our own lives at what you have done for each one of us and where you have brought us from. And we can be encouraged by the fact that you promised that uh, He, you who have begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for that because the evidence is overwhelming that we just need to turn our eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face and to realize that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And we just thank you that as you use our life and provide victory, that it could be a platform where we can tell other people about your love for them and what you can do if they simply trust in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.